Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. With that, we're going to get back into the study. So if you would, let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 um, and dig into some things that I believe are unbelievably important. I don't believe that we talk about it enough, uh, but thankfully Jesus does in the Sermon of the Mount, and we'll uh, bring that into view today. And uh, I want to pray over it before we get to it, uh, because it is probably one of the most complicated things, one of the most complicated things for us to get our minds around. Usually because we are trying to justify something that we know is not right, or we're trying to... um, take and beat up somebody else for something that we don't fully understand ourselves. So we're going to pray over it first, and then we'll dig into this part of the study as we continue our our stay on the life of Christ. So will you pray for me? Dearly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to get into the Word, to be challenged by your Word, Father, to be instructed by your Word, to a life that is fuller, that is more purposeful, and uh, has so much more hope and promise and victory to it than the life that this world has to offer. I pray you be with us and guide us with our discernment and our wisdom and our understanding as your Holy Spirit moves so that we can continue to be better ambassadors for you and be able to uh, reach the world around us in ways that bring love and truth instead of uh, just one or the other. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, as I said, we've been in the Sermon of the Mount as we're going through the life of Christ. And if you've been with us, this is a good time to stop and think about the audience. This is a good time to think about what kind of tension, what kind of things are going on within the crowd as Jesus has now shared the Beatitudes and talked about what the righteous life looks like. Uh, He starts out as a traditional rabbi as far as giving blessings, but it's blessings like they've never heard before. It's blessings that don't make any sense to them as far as blessed are those are meek and those are hungry and thirst for righteousness and those are persecuted are very odd blessings. And so this would really kind of bring that group into kind of this confusion aspect of things and then to immediately go into that's what it looks like in your life. Now this is how you're the light. This is how that you're the salt. This is how you pack the world. It was different than what many of them were used to as well. There's a lot of tension going on here because if you were an Israelite during that time, again, you were God's chosen people. And the, 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 what that was supposed to mean was that this is the Israelites showing the world what it looks like to, for God to be your God so that they are rude to him, but instead they made it we are the chosen and you are not. So they're not used to being the light. They're not used to being the salt. They're used to being the special ones. So there's a lot, lot of different attributes going on here, a lot of lo- different, like I say, t- tensions, maybe even conflicts within the group. And on top of that, there's religious leaders there as well, because when you have a guy preaching out into the wilderness that thousands of people are talking about around town, that they are going out to see, you're going to go check that out to see if this is a threat. What is this? Who is this guy? What is he teaching? Does he match up to us? Can we control him? Is this something that we have a partnership with? Or is this a threat? So there's a lot of tension here. He's saying these weird blessings. He's talking about things that don't make sense. They're starting to question. They're starting to have some curiosity. So when we think about it, it's good to bring into this particular section of things um, 
the growing tension within the group because Jesus in this section is going into a minefield and not as one who has like a metal detector that's trying to find a way to avoid the mines. He's like going in a minefield as one dancing back and forth trying to find him with his feet. He just doesn't, he's not worried. He's not scared. He, he's, he's trying to bring something forward, not for the sake of controversy, but for the sake, again, of truth and love. So when we're in Matthew 5 and we're in verse 17, we're going to talk about um, what he has to say to him in the midst of this struggle and this challenge. Uh, he says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Okay, now, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders sitting there, all doing this. Whew, good. We're on the same page. You know, he's not messing with the law. He's not messing with, with the prophets. He goes, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the question becomes, what does that mean? Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not, never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's why we need wisdom and discernment today, because we're going to talk about what that means. And if we don't fully see it within the full context of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you might think that I'm teaching heresy. We have to understand what do we do with the law? What do we do with the prophets? What do we do with the Old Testament in a way that does not change or abolish the law, but we live with the fulfillment of the law? What does that mean? So to get to that point, and I'll do some examples so that we can kind of get our, our minds around that on how that works, uh, there's about four things in here that we really need to, to look at to build a foundation to be able to get to a point of what this means, because this is a huge topic in the world today. You might not think it is, but you're going to find it is quite a bit. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is the law. So if we've got the note takers, as your number one for you. We're going to talk about the law a little bit. Um, I think when we th talk about the law in the church and we think about it from an Old Testament standpoint, um, we usually go through, man, how overwhelming would it be to have to live underneath that law? They have like, you know, over what, 360-some plus laws. There's the laws that were divine that God gave us directly. And then there's a buttload of laws that the, the uh, priest that, that God ordained took and gave us that served as walls to keep us away from sin. And there was a lot of them you had to remember to be clean and to be part of the church and be able to go to the synagogue and those type of things. And we think it's a little bit overwhelming. But in reality, as far as how many laws there is, you and I live in a culture that's law-based. You and I have a lot more than 300 plus laws in this nation. We're used to it. Um, I think we're not as stressed out about it because the repercussions are not quite as uh, overwhelming as, uh, as it was with the law of the Old Testament. But we, we live with the law, and we're accountable to the law right now today. Whether or not you agree with the law or not, whether or not you even know something's a law or not. Uh, a couple of years ago, I'm going to tell my wife. My daughter's always concerned I'm going to talk about her, but I'm going to talk about my wife and I this time. Hi, honey. <laughs> Why'd you move the tissue box? That's what I thought. <laughs> I put it there on purpose. Chris tried to hide from me earlier. Yep, there goes Chris. Um, but a couple of years ago, we were driving to my sister's house for Easter. Uh, and I say we, my wife. And um, we were on this, this road going over towards Mount Vernon Way. And 
there was somebody driving really slow in front of us. And so Jenny looked down and got dotted lights straight down the, the middle of the road. And she turns on her turn signal and she goes around them. She never goes over the speed limit, turn signal back in. Everything's looking good until you see a police officer coming the other way. He's flip on his lights and start doing that move. And so he pulls who over? No, us over. <laughs> and, uh, and we're like, you know, what, what, what's the problem, officer? I guess is that the, the normal fit. And he goes, well, there's a, uh, honest to God, here's what I mind. There's a little known law that is hardly ever enforced that you cannot pass someone else within 100 feet of a road that's meeting into the road that you're traveling on. And we said, is there a road that met our road? And sure enough, this road about the size of a driveway that nobody was on, nobody was turning off of, was back in that general area. I still don't know how he measured 100 feet coming in this direction and us going that direction. Never mind, never mind. That was my argument with him. But um, so even if there's dotted lines, you cannot pass. And I said, well, you know, she's got a perfect driving record. If it's a little known law, that's hardly ever enforced. Is this a good opportunity for maybe a warning? He's like, no, you broke the law, $120. Thank you very much. Like, Happy Easter. But it's the law. We didn't know the law. All we knew is it says dotted, it says you can pass, right? But that doesn't matter. These guys, it was a huge situation to break the law. It wasn't a $120 fine. It was just a big, big deal. Last night, uh, I was at a, a store. We were getting some uh, things for him. And uh, next thing I know, you hear those little things going off at the front door, the little detector things. And everybody clamoring up there. Somebody had put together like a, hey, can I leave my stuff here and just add it in the basket? I'm getting bought stuff. And then she just picked it up and like ran out. Uh, and the, one of the customers like opened the door and she's like screaming out, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's more the old law. That's <laughs> going to shame you to, to make sure that you're doing the law. So the law is a big deal. And it is something that God gave us for a reason. That without the law, we would not understand sin. Without the law, we wouldn't understand the seriousness of that sin. Without the law, we would not realize what it would take to achieve holiness and that we cannot achieve holiness in and of ourselves. Without the law, we would not realize how badly we need Jesus Christ, his redemption and his grace and his mercy and his salvation to be able to have a, a relationship with God, to have salvation through our God. So the law was a very big deal. And it made them very nervous when we're talking about changing it or not changing it. So there's moral law, there's ceremonial law, there's community law, there's quite a bit to it. Look in the first five books of your, your Bible and you will find a great deal. Uh, you get in the second through the, no, you get to the third and the fifth of the law. Very boring reading, but it does still very much have a place in our life today. That's, Jesus is attesting there. So that's a little bit about the law. We can talk more about it later. But he also mentioned the prophets. When you get to all scripture, right? The, 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 to write about here is, is the Old Testament. And it is made up by testimonies. It's made up by poetry. It's made up by uh, words of wisdom and proverbs. It's made up by songs and songs. But predominantly, it is made up by the law and the prophets. And what God has commanded his, his people to take and get, tell to all people what he has to say and what he has to do. And in, in this situation, he's saying, you know, I'm not, that, that's another part that I'm not coming to abolish in any way, shape, or form. Um, there's a lot when it comes to the prophets of what, um, 
we would have to look at and make sure that we understand as far as foreshadowing of the Christ, foreshadowing of the new covenant, because Old Testament means old covenant. It was the original uh, arrangement that God had with us before Jesus fulfilled it and brought us to the new covenant. Uh, but it still has a, a lot of play in our, our lives. Now, the one thing that's funny to me, how did he put it here in the ESV? Uh, he, he's not, not an iota and not a dot. And that's a, that's a pretty good recommendation uh, uh, representation of what Jesus was saying. But I kind of like, I think it's the NIV version of this, is that uh, he says, I have not come to change a jot or a tittle. And I love that phrase. It's not one we use that often anymore, but I haven't come to change a jot or two. It's like if you became a manager of a department at your job, and everybody was nervous about what changes you're going to bring in, and you're like, hey, guys, don't worry. I'm just going to come in. I'm not going to change a jot or a tittle. And that's just a funny phrase, right? Your kids are doing a good job. Don't change a jot or tittle. You're doing so good with this. But here's what he's referring to, and I'll get Chris's help with this. It's just a, kind of a white screen background. A jot in the Hebrew is the smallest, most insignificant letter. And we're saying Hebrew because, again, the law was written. The Old Testament so it would be written in Hebrew and not the Greek. And so the closest thing that we have to it, and it actually always it still has more significance in our language than theirs did, is the lowercase i. An uppercase I has representation, has identity, you know, has, has, a, has a place where it's starting something or it's naming something. The lowercase I is the closest thing that we have to a jot in the Hebrew. It's the smallest, most insignificant letter. A tittle, now a tittle you're going to see probably best, I think it's Psalms 119. Let me make sure I look my notes and see if I'm saying that. Yeah, Psalms 119 is one of those longer psalms. It's broken into different sections and it has like little... Uh, phrase that, that makes no sense uh, right above it, like a little word. Those are, those are titles or titles might be what we, we pull to it. Uh, and then we've got, when, for instance, the, the bet one that we have here uh, is in Psalms 119. It is over verse 9, if you want to look at it later. Um, the uh, calf one is uh, right over verse 81. It's a, it's a little title over a particular segment that barely ever shows up. And Jesus says, I'm not even going to mess with that. I'm not changing that. I'm not abolishing that. To, to the littlest, most insignificant things, I am not changing it. I'm not abolishing it. But, but, I'm fulfilling it. That fulfillment comes into place through Jesus Christ. That his atonement fulfills the laws. Um, now, here's, here's one thing to take note, because this is kind of big in our culture right now. If there was ever a time that God was going to change the scripture to meet a new culture, if there was ever a time to rewrite the Bible to make it more relevant, this would have been that moment. The Messiah has come on the scene. He, he is fulfilling it. He's got things to say. He, he would say, look, that Old Testament stuff doesn't fit my new image. The old angry dad version of God versus the, the come give me a hug Jesus doesn't fit my image so we're just going to change all that he, there was no time that we ever changed the Bible we have to, but we have to understand how to discern the scripture to what he is saying so to make sure that we are living properly so how does he fulfill it well it's easy to look at when it comes to prophecy how he fulfills prophecy because there's a ton of stuff in the Old Testament about Jesus Generations before he's born, we know all that. If you look at generation, uh, Genesis 3, you know, when they first sin, we immediately have God saying to the, sn the snake, I've got one coming. 
and you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head, you little stupid man. You know what I mean? It's, it's immediate. It's immediate. Jesus is, is, is the plan. Uh, when he kills a, an animal and makes it out of that skin clothing for uh, Eve and Adam for the, to cover their nakedness, I'm, I'm still convinced that it was a sheep. That was the first sheep sacrifice to cover our sin, just because of the nature of God. That's not what it says in the scripture. It says an animal, but that's what my thought is. Um, if you get into, let's see, Psalm 22. Do, 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 do. Sometimes I mark these. Other times, I do not. Uh, but like Psalm 22, uh, 16 through 18, for dogs encompass me, a, ch- a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Who's it talking about? Yeah, a couple thousand years before Jesus was conceived. Uh, Isaiah, uh, we'll give you Isaiah 53. So we're going to the prophets here. And the pastor can't find it. There we go. Uh, Let's see, I think four through six. Yeah. The prophet says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with our, his wounds we are healed. All li- we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of every single one of us. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And then there's prophecies galore as far as... How, who he's going to be born to, where he's going to be born, that they have to go to Egypt because they have to flee from Herod, the, the, the things that he's done throughout his life, the donkey that he rides into Jerusalem. Not just any donkey, but a specific donkey that goes into there, how he was going to die, how the resurrection itself. There's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, generations before Jesus. They had to know every single one of them, or he is fake. And he fulfilled all of the prophecy. Logically, somebody's got to deal with that. I mean, it was just there. It wasn't like Star Wars, which everything comes back to Star Wars. We got New Hope, you got the Empire Strikes Back, and we turn the Jedi, and all of you better understand that. Okay, so we have that like in the 70s and early 80s, and then later they come back and do the prequels, and they're like, oh, who wins this battle? Well, what happens in Empire Strikes Back? Well, yeah, this person should win, so it matches up. It wasn't Jesus, and then they came up with the stuff. The prequels were forced. So he had to know all of it. And a lot of it had nothing to do with anything inside his control. One of the prophecies about Jesus is that he would not have a broken bone. Okay? That's why at the end when he's on the cross and they come to break the legs of the thieves so that they don't have any way of fighting the the strangulation of the cross anymore, that he was already gone. So they would break his legs. That's why they poke him with the spear, because that's how God wanted it to be. Can you imagine if Jesus, right before the scourging, being tied to the rock and having the whip come out with brutal expert executioners like the Romans, beating him nearly to death right before he had said, hey guys, listen, I know you guys get a little out of control sometimes, but can you try not to break a bone? Because I've got this list of stuff that I've got to match up to. So if you guys can just skip the bones, that'd be great. He just didn't have that kind of control. He fulfilled all the prophecy. Again, logically, we have to deal, deal with that. So that's somewhat easy for us to kind of get. But uh, how does that mean that he fulfilled the law? Um, when we look at the law in its full context, including the New Testament, we do see, and I wish we had better words, 
we see change, but we don't see it being abolished. We, we see things that are fulfilled to the heart of the law with, and details being changed without the law being touched. And that's the part that I'm praying about because it's just really hard to really navigate that. Um, it, and it really does bring quite a bit of change. For instance, I mean like, and this is the far extreme of it, Jesus said this, but he also said to the, the, the guy that was trying to figure out how to be the greatest in heaven, um, he's like, well, you know, what's the greatest commandment, right? You guys know this is Matthew 22, I think it is. Um, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Good job. You got it. Bing. A plus. That's good. But there's a second one that's so close I've got to share it with you too. Love others as you love yourself. In another area he said, love others as I have loved you. And then he says this crazy, crazy line. All of the law is wrapped up in those two. All the law. And if you look at the law and how you treat people, I don't have to remember 350 laws to know I'm not supposed to have a, an adulterous affair on my wife because I love her as Christ loves me. I, I, I don't have to remember not to actually murder somebody that I feel like strangling because that's not exactly the most loving thing. So it's kind of this overall glib. But then we have this challenge of going, okay, well, but I love that person I want to have the affair with and I want to love, you know what I mean? Like we try to make things as simple or as uh, self-based as possible. So then it goes, okay, so how do I do this in the loving, but it doesn't change one iota, one, one, one tittle, one jot, whatever. It gets a lot more complicated when it comes to that fulfillment of the law. So how do we navigate that? How do we choose that? How do we make sure that we don't use that to our own advantage, but also enjoy the full freedom of what God has called us to? That's what we're going to talk about here in a second. The first thing, uh, again, the first thing being the, the law, the second thing being the prophets, the third thing being the fulfillment, uh, is that it deals with the placement of our place in heaven. That all of this, and this is one of the reasons why it's so important, one, because the world challenges it, uh, because they don't understand it, um, and sometimes we don't understand it. And secondly, because it, it involves our placement in heaven. Um, for uh, instance, <laughs> the worst case scenario for this, the worst placement is for the Pharisees and the scribes, according to Jesus. Um, he, I don't know, I, it, it's not funny, but it's almost as funny as, as tittles and jots to me that these guys are sitting there trying to figure out if they can control Jesus or not, if there's a partnership with Jesus or not. And he says this whole thing, and they're like, what's fulfillment mean? And then all of a sudden he says, hey, by the way, your, your righteousness in this area has got to be better than Pharisees because they're not, they're not going to go to heaven. That's rude. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, think, think, let's see, is there anybody in here named Bob? I don't think anybody's named Bob. I don't want to accidentally someone think I'm actually talking about them. Good. Okay, we'll talk about Lynn. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, let's say there's a guy here named Bob, and I'm finishing up the sermon, and I say, hey, by the way, don't be like Bob because he's going to hell. God is good, everybody. You know, it's just, it's just a rude, rude thing to say, but it's a truthful thing because they are not living the righteousness that they are preaching. However, for those that are following Christ, those who have accepted Jesus as leader and forgiver by acknowledging the mouth of the Son of God, believing the hearts He's the Son of God, you're God, I'm not, I take the forgiveness, I'm following you. It still says, if you mess this up, you'll be in heaven, but somehow you're the least in heaven? 
And those who follow this will be called great in heaven. I don't, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm still trying to figure out all the level things of heaven. I don't think I'll ever fully get it until I get home. But I kind of like to be on the top two if that's possible. So at least, at least it gives a good motivation to be able to understand this stuff well. So it, it definitely has a long impact. So trying to figure this out is, I think, unbelievably important for us to talk about. So, uh, so let's talk about it. Let's look at it in terms of the Old Testament. Let's look at it in terms of the New Testament. And then let's look at it in terms of gray areas, is what I'll call it, gray areas. Uh, again, the Old Testament, unbelievably important. I know we stay in the New Testament a lot. There's a reason for it, because it's our age. It's our church age. And if, you can, if you're just starting out in the scripture, I'm going to recommend to you John. I'm going to recommend to you James. It's going to be the New Covenant living because that's our age. But the Old Testament has so much beauty, foreshadowing, um, lessons that we need to know. That, that is very much a part of our faith and part of our history and part of our heritage. It's over, I think it's like 60%, if not 70% of the scripture. So if someone just stays in the New Testament, you're missing a whole heck of a lot. And the Old Testament law, God was serious. Now again, we do have to keep in mind there's a difference between God's law and what the priests put into place. But we find that at the time, in the lessons that God was trying to teach us at the time, he was pretty serious about the things of the priests as well. So we'll look at, look at that as well. So we definitely have to bring in the Old Testament. So when you're studying the Old Testament, and it says that something is off limits, it says something is a sin, it says something that uh, shouldn't be part of our, our life, or whatever the case may be, the question then becomes, um, what do we do with that? Is that fulfilled? And if I do ignore that and say it's fulfilled, am I actually changing, a, you know, this dot? Is, it, it, gets, it, it takes a lot, a lot of discernment and under, understanding. Uh, and we have to do it with a great, great humility. Um, I was bad today. I was bad today. While you guys are worshiping, Dana and I got into a conversation in the back, and I don't feel bad about it at all. And, like, we were talking about some of these things without even saying that, this, that we were going to go into the sermon. Like, some of it has to do sermon, but then we branched out, and all of it's covered in this. Um, that there's a lot of confusion about this in the world. Like, we, we were talking about uh, uh, the Old Testament says you can't have shrimp, if you didn't know that, crustaceans. Uh, Old Testament says you can't wear uh, polyester, all you... Sinners in the 1970s. Um, there's a lot of things within there that people who don't process this will say, you guys are picking certain sins to beat up on and then taking and just not doing what the Bible says. The Bible says if you catch a woman in adultery, stone the crap out of her, kill her. You guys don't do that one anymore. And a lot of times Christians look at it and go, um, yeah, but Jesus loves there's actually a positive, all those things still in place, so is that fulfilled through the atonement of Jesus Christ? So we have to learn how to follow that into the New Testament to see what is fulfilled that that law, whether it be man law, uh, actually I don't know of any God laws that are changed outside of uh, one and how it's played out, well, I guess two. Um, but are they reiterated? Are we free from that because of the atonement, because of the fulfillment, or is it reiterated? And the good news is, shrimp is not mentioned in the New Testament. Polyester is not mentioned in it. It is part of man's law and not God's law. So you can go to Red Lobster after this in your best 70s outfit, and you're not sinning. 
Don's already thinking about an outfit he has at home, aren't you? You're like, hey, I didn't know that. Okay. But does that mean everything? Is, there, is everything open to that kind of interpretation? Well, let's look at the, the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, look in Exodus. Those things, first off, were given to us straight from God. Um, don't lie, don't murder, no adultery, no stealing, honoring your parents. Uh, all, the, all those things, are, are they still in place? Well, according to Jesus in Mark 10, 19, they absolutely are. According to Galatians 5.14, talking about loving your neighbor, absolutely is. We still have commandments. All through the New Testament, you're going to find the, t the Ten Commandments reiterated. Um, tithing. Um, Deuteronomy 14.22-24, um, again, deals with that 10% that giving to God. And then a lot of, uh, so some people will say, well, that's no longer in place because Christ fulfilled it, even though Christ talks about tithing in Matthew 23, 23, even though the tithing was pre-law, as Chuck has taught us uh, not too long ago in one of his sermons that he gave us. Um, it's still, they, they will say there's a voice that says you sh that God wants a, a cheerful giver. And if I'm commanded to give 10% and then offerings, then I can't be cheerful about it because I was told I had to do it. So obviously tithing is no longer in place. Um, I'm commanded to pray, and I can pray with a fervent heart and very excited about it. It doesn't matter if it's a command or not. I, I'm told to be in the Word and be connected with God. I can do that without like, well, I guess I've got to spend time with Jesus now. You know what I mean? It, 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 so that does, doesn't really go into place. So if you're going to seek that out, make sure that you look at the New Testament to see if that is something that's confirming what we have in the Old Testament. Um, Hot button issues. And th this really is one of the areas where I see it come up uh, quite a bit, but like same gender sex. There's, there's a lot of confusion around that. And I, do, I generally don't talk about uh, LGBTQ issues from up here. I've explained that to you guys before. I preached on it in depth once. Uh, if you really want to go into it from a standpoint from 100% love and 100% truth, you can go to our YouTube channel, do a social homosexuality, it'll come right up. And you can watch that. It's about 15 minutes long. But I generally don't preach about it because it's not a good monologue. It's a good communication. That, that's something you need to sit and talk, to, talk about because it is so um, it's sensitive. It's so emotional. It, it deals with people's uh, experience, identity, um, sexuality. It, it really is a better, better talk. But oftentimes when we're in, in that talk, th there will come up with things like, well, you know, in the Old Testament, sure. An uh, example I'll give you is Leviticus 18.22 or 20.13. Uh, uh, neither one are, are, are about Sodom, um, about same-gender sex. But Christ fulfilled that, right? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, 1 Timothy 1, 10, you look at Romans 1, there's different ways of looking at that. I understand, understand different perspectives that people have. But from... But yes, it does address same gender sex. And so we have to look at it from that standpoint, not a I don't like it, so I'm just going to ignore it standpoint. Um, and I'm not talking about other people. Me personally, there's times I wish sin wasn't sin for people that I love and care about. Uh, but you have to look at it from this whole thing. So anything we're looking about in that Old Testament law, we have to bring the New Testament into it to see if it's been fulfilled in a new way. None of those that I see have been. However, there's others. Food, okay, if we're going to talk about food, I think, what, what are we talking about? Are we, do you talk about ham sandwich? Okay, ham sandwich, because that's a good one, because in the, in the law, you're not allowed to eat 
ham. It's, you can't have animals that are cloven hoof. You can't have animals that uh, chew their cud. That's kind of gross. Um, you know, those, those type of things. And they, it was a very, very serious for them. Now, what does the New Testament say about that? Is that fulfilled in a different way? Yes. When we get to Acts chapter 10, you have uh, Peter sitting up on the rooftop of Simon the, the Tanner, and, which already shows that Simon has come a certain distance. Uh, because a tanner deals with carcasses. The roof is where they would dry those things out. For him to be relaxing up there is impossible for a Jew to do because they'd be so freaking unclean from the blood and the dead carcasses. But he now understands some of the fulfillment of the law, but he still has some struggles. And so while he's up there, he has a vision. You remember this? Big neck coming out of the sky, has all kinds of animals in it, clean and unclean. And the big voice says, don't, this is Tom's version of it, by the way, don't say anything I've made is unclean. And goes back up. And Peter, being dim, had to have it happen again and again and again to get the point. Don't say anything I, I say. And there's two points to that lesson. One, that's the first opening that we see where it is open that we can eat ham sandwiches. And we can eat of any animal. Just don't be gluttonous, according to the scripture. But more importantly, that the Gentiles are not unclean people. And that you Jews are someone special. That's just for me. Uh, and we know that because right after this, we have some Gentiles come to the door and God says, go down, they, they need you. And he went and he preached to a household of Gentiles. Uh, so funny, he walks in the door and he says, okay, I'm here. What do you guys want me to talk about? Well, duh, what do you think you want us to talk about, Peter? Can you tell us about your you know, life hacks? I mean, it's going to be about Jesus. Anyways, he's a little dim. I love him. He's a little dim. But, but we do find, and we're going to talk about another example in a little bit here, that the fulfillment of the law allowed for food of different types. Uh, circumcision, another fun one for all the guys in the house, right? <laughs> Thankfully, mom and dad took care of that for me early before I had a say. Uh, so that's not a problem for me. But, oh, Tim, I, the... But in the Old Testament, you had to be circumcised to, to be an Israelite, to follow God. If, if you're an Israelite, you're going to be circumcised. If you're a slave or someone that's being grafted into the Israelite community, I don't care what age you're going to be, you're going to be circumcised. You need to be marked as God's people. And he was very serious about it to the point that Moses, when Moses was going out to lead the Israelites after the burning bush, remember this part? He's out in the desert. His wife comes in and does a circumcision on him against his wishes because he was not circumcised being raised as Pharaoh's grandson. And God was not happy about it to the point that God was going to strike him down and kill him before he got to Egypt. He was going to kill him that night because he refused because it hurts a lot, the circumcision. And his wife saved him. So God wasn't exactly like, I hope you guys get the point of this. It was a big deal. But what we find within the New Testament is that circumcision is not about the, it's about being cut to the heart. That we are marked by Christ because we have given him our heart, that we are cut to the heart. That's the sign that we are God's, God's people. Um, Romans 2.29, a, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And this was a huge issue for them. In the fourth century church, they, they had people coming in all the time that were Jewish believers that said to the Gentiles, hey, it's good that you're following Jesus. I'm glad you opened the door to you, but you know, you still got to be circumcised or you're not really a Christian. And Paul, a Jew of all Jews, would fight with them 
to the point that in Galatians 5.12, there's so many funny things in the scripture. Okay, Galatians 5.12, he's talking about these people. He says, I wish those who unsettle you, in other words, the people teaching this that's causing all the problems, I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. If this is such a big issue to you, just take the whole thing off and get on with your life. I, he's just so blunt, right? But he couldn't have said that in Exodus. But there's a fulfillment of the law. We have, the, the purpose of the law is we have to know sin and, and cleansiness with the animals, but now that's been fulfilled. We have to understand that we have to be mocked for God. We need to be cut. Now it's a matter of the heart. Sabbath. That's the one of the Ten Commandments ones I'm kind of wondering how to, how to portray with. Do we have to worship on the Sabbath only? Do we absolutely go into hell because we work on Saturdays? Um, that has been fulfilled from my, my, my standpoint. Not Sabbath, but Saturday. I, I was talking to somebody online not too long ago. They were looking for a church that meets on Saturdays because that's what the real church does and all these other churches are a bunch of heresy. But no, the holy church started worshiping on Sundays. Why? Because it's the Lord's Day. It's the day that he resurrected from the dead. And that, that Sabbath of being Saturday is not seen in the early church, but Sabbath rest is. I mean, if you look at uh, Hebrews 4, it talks about we need Sabbath rest. We need to be with him weekly. We need that time in the world. We need that time uh, in praying. We need that time going for a walk and just looking at his beautiful creation. We need that time to stop and get refueled because we are not this endless fuel creature. We need, need to have a Sabbath rest. We're absolutely still commanded to Sabbath, but not necessarily Saturday. Uh, so, again, th those are some of the examples of how we look at that from a New Testament pers perspective to see what Christ has fulfilled and what um, is still in place and what is uh, changed. So, now let's talk about gray areas. And if you do me a favor, actually go to Romans 14. And you can lose your place there. Uh, Romans is right after this full gospel, so it's not too far back. And I'm not going to read it, but I want you to look at it. Uh, and I've taught on this before, and some of you guys I know have been around long enough to hear on, on this. But uh, again, very important stuff here. There are, and what's funny is Romans 14 isn't necessarily even about a gray area, but uh, there's areas in our lives that are just not talked about in the Scripture. They're, they're not. It's like saying God doesn't care about if you speed, because Toyota's not mentioned in it. You know, whatever. There, there's just things that, that, that we'll talk about here in a second that's just not mentioned in Scripture that we have to use discernment for. This one is one he's already spoke on. This is about eating food. And he uses that as an example because it was still very controversial at that time, 4th century church, on what you could eat and what you could not eat. Some people got it, you could eat whatever you want. Some people said, I get it, but ham? I do, I, I, this has been so foreign to me with God for so long that they felt wrong about doing it. And Paul's basic instruction is this. Look, if it's, if it's fulfilled and you see that it's not a black and white sin in the scripture, and there is black and white sin, um, then you're going to have to figure that out between you and the Lord. And if you, you see this and you see it's okay to eat food, and for you, you're comfortable eating food, and you and God are right about eating the food, eat the food. For you, it's a freedom. For you, it's part of that fulfillment. However, if you feel it's wrong, don't eat that ham sandwich. Because in your heart, that's rebellion. And for you, it would be sin. Okay, so, so if you're talking about 
dancing or going to certain types of movies or you know, anything else that the scripture doesn't specifically talk about, even though it absolutely talks about the heart behind it. Um, so seek it out. If it's okay for you to go see that movie and you feel right about between you and the Lord and what you see in the scripture, then there you go. But if your brother feels it's wrong, then he absolutely should not go. Should not, should not go. Then he goes one step further. If you feel it's okay and your brother or your sister feels it's not, then don't do it in front of them. Because you're now making them stumble and you're not acting in love. And guess what? Not acting in love is sin. So don't do it. Even if it's okay between you and the Lord because you love your brother or your sister that much. Um, good ex example, example I've always used in this is having a beer. Okay, the, the Bible is very blunt that drunkenness is a sin. But having a beer, is it a sin? Um, assuming you don't have a struggle with, you know, alcohol. Some of us think it is. Some of us think it's not. I personally don't think it, that it's a sin. So I, at the max, usually have about a six-pack a year. Uh, I love beer. But I don't drink it because, one, I don't get drunkenness. Two, uh, there's some alcoholism in the past and, and, uh, and one side of my family. Uh, even though I'm not blood-related to them, it still makes me aware of what, where it can lead. Uh, and third, and this is probably the one that impacts the most, I don't drink it uh, in situations where people around me might stumble because I drank it. Um, and that's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian and I've raised the flag and people are watching me. So if I think it's okay to have a beer, whether or not you agree with me, and God and I are, are cool with it, and it's not addressed in the scripture as far as one beer, then that's one thing. If my brother thinks that the, or my sister thinks that it's a sin, they absolutely should not partake. But I will not partake unless if I know everybody that's around me, and we're all on exactly the exact same page, which doesn't happen all that often. You will not see me with a tall one at Applebee's. Because I might have been talking to somebody recently about Christ and about church, and they might be sitting on the other side of the room, and I don't even know they're there, and they look, Tom's got a beer. I thought he was the real deal. Now I'm a stumbling block, and I'm throwing away something without any regard to myself, so why even chance it? Why even chance it? That's how we handle these gray areas that the Bible doesn't talk about. It's got to be about, one, what's honestly true between me and God, and then secondly, am I loving others? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love others as Christ has loved you. So that's kind of the beginning point of it. And like I said, I, I do think that this is, is complicated. And I do think, depending especially on our heart and what we want to, the Scripture to say instead of what the Scripture is saying, that it can be really hard to navigate this sometimes. Um, so like I always say, I love getting together with people at Panera. If you have a particular issue you're dealing with, or if this seems like I'm just, like I said, just full of heresy, and, or whatever case be, I'd love to get together and talk and go through this, because that's what we're supposed to be doing as brothers and sisters. And maybe you've got a thought that I haven't seen, and maybe that's something that we can take and help each other with, or you can help me with. But it's definitely something we're struggling with, because I don't want to be a Pharisee. Do you notice the Sadducees weren't even mentioned? Poor guys. Don't want to be a Pharisee. And I do want to be loving. And I want to make sure that I'm loving in the truth. So, with that, Philippians 3. If you go, go there, you're like, why did I go to Romans 14? So you can look at it later. I wanted you to see what it was. Philippians 3. Now, yeah, there we go. 
Same thing with Philippians 3 as Romans 14. Read this sucker later. It's awesome. It's Paul going through all of the things that the law gave him and all the things he accomplished through the law and how he was impeccable at the letter of the law. It, it is a, it's a long section that is glorious to go through to see all the things he could bag on when it comes to the law in the world. And then he says, but I throw it all in the trash for the gain of Jesus Christ. The gain of Jesus Christ. What are you willing to throw into the trash for the gain of Jesus Christ? If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion, Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.